that could lead to a breach of your subcontract or a breach of your prime contract. It could lead in an extreme case to a termination if you're the prime contractor. I can see a scenario where some type of major security breach um, presented by an ins insider taking sensitive information could lead to a termination for default. If the contractor was willfully engaged in conduct of just being ignoring the situation and not properly monitoring it. So it can be extreme. Welcome to GovCon Live, where each week we're talking about gaining a competitive advantage through a deeper understanding of the law. I'm your host, John Williams, and today we'll be talking to Megan Connor and Nicole Atala about insider threat programs. As the third episode in our multi-part series on gaining a competitive edge through cyber, data, and personnel security. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and we hope to have some fun too. But we're not rendering legal advice. Your unique facts and circumstances could change the advice that would apply. And the rapidly changing nature of the law may cause the information in this podcast to become outdated. All right, disclaimer over. Megan and Nicole, so great to have you with us. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk about insider threat. That sounds intriguing. That sounds a little dangerous. What do we mean by insider threat? An insider threat is when an insider in your organization, either wittingly or unwittingly, can put your company in position of losing valuable information. And for cleared contractors, that valuable information is classified information. Yeah, so essentially what we're saying is that one of the ways that you can protect your company is through watching your own people and making sure that you have the right benchmarks and protocols in, in place. None of us ever want to think that our people are going to be the ones to cause a breach or to cause a problem, but most cyber threats and other threats, frankly, come from in the house, not outside the house. Right. You need to protect Protect your house. So, Megan, you mentioned cleared contractors. Can you tell us a little bit about what you meant by that? What's a, what's a clearance? Sure. Uh, companies that are doing business with DOD and other sensitive agencies, CIA, the four-letter ones, they often do work that are subject to different levels of clearances, secret, top secret. Uh, sometimes you have to have a polygraph test. There are different levels. And in order to obtain that clearance, and for an entity, it's called a facility clearance, uh, you, your company needs to comply with the National Industrial Security Program Operating Manual, also known as the NISBOM. And the NISBOM, as of November 2016, requires companies that are cleared with a facility clearance to implement an insider threat program. So in your practice, and, and Megan, you're one of our partners in the government contracts group, do you work with a lot of security clearance issues in general, like setting aside insider threat for the moment? Like how does security clearance come up in your practice? Yes, we work with companies actually with the NISBOM and ensuring that they comply. So there are certain ownership requirements. For instance, one issue that we work with clients about often is foreign ownership, influence, and control, foci issues. We also work with parent and subsidiary company issues and how the clearances differ between the two. And a lot of questions we receive also deal with joint ventures. Many of our clients participate in joint ventures and want those joint ventures to have a clearance to pursue cleared work. So the joint venture needs to have its own clearance. Yes, it does. Wow. So that's, uh, that's a question we get a lot, frankly. We, we could do a whole other session on that. That might be a different series down the road. Thank you, Megan. 
So, Nicole, tell us a little bit about your practice and how does it connect with Insider Threat? Sure. So I'm a partner in our labor and employment practice group. A lot of what we're doing is looking at employee-based policies and procedures to ensure that that confidential information, not only that confidential information that you're required to keep confidential as part of your contract with the government or other contractual requirement, that that stays safe, but to protect your company um, and make sure that you are doing what you need to do to ensure that um, whether it's because of negligence or intent, that you're keeping your information and your practices safe. Great, great. So I imagine this is, especially with government contractors, I mean, this is an area that keeps you guys busy in the employment group with dealing with a variety of ways that this manifests, right? Exactly. So from anything from looking at policies to make sure that it's protecting your company and also compliant to talking to you about your holistic approach to um, confidentiality, whether it's in the form of agreements with employees or practices within the company, getting your culture on the right track. So why why are we concerned about this? Like, what are the potential ramifications of not paying attention to insider threat? Your company could lose valuable information. So I know that Nicole has had a couple cases recently where former, actually they were current employees, went and poached uh, pricing information and and the secret sauce is the term that we always refer to it as. The information that is so valuable to your company, the information that gives your company a competitive edge. Sometimes employees don't always have their the company's best intentions at heart and sometimes do look to compete. So that can pose one type of insider threat. It can also be something that's just negligence. Um, For instance, if you're an employee connects to an unsecured Wi-Fi network and deals with, opens up a classified document, that, that employee unwittingly has put your company in the crosshairs of a potential violation. Well, listeners to this podcast will know that I'm fond of the phrase secret sauce because when <laughs> our partner, Cy Alba, and I talked a couple episodes ago about protecting your data rights, it's the same theme. You work so hard as a business to develop these critical assets. Whatever your secret sauce is, whether it's source code like we were talking about with Cy or whether it's pricing information like Megan just mentioned you, it is th- That is the lifeblood of your business. You put so much into that. You need to take adequate, at a minimum, protections. And that's what we're really talking about with insider threat programs, right, Nicole? Exactly. Um, so for the intentional type stuff, like Megan was talking about, um, the case that she was referring to, somebody was worried that their current employer was not going to compete well on the follow-on contract. And they were worried about that. So instead of working with their current employer to be the best competitor, they started shopping around to see Mm -hmm. who would be the best competitor and giving them salary information, resumes, you know, how they were building out their proposal because they wanted to secure their own future, right? And so we understand and sympathize that employees are worried. That doesn't give them the right to go out and compete against us, essentially, so we're looking at what is our what is our interest and how far do we need to go and how far will the law allow us to go to protect that stuff and to hold those employees accountable if they do it. Yeah, I mean you can't boy that sounds like a really rough situation. You get, get your employee has the barn door open and all the 
secrets are flying right out. So what, what, what do you do in a situation like that? So if you have the, the right policies in place, and, you know, I always like to say I would prefer employers talk to us before this stuff happens so that we can make sure that if it does happen, we have the right tools to use to stop it. And if we do, um, under trade secrets laws and under breach of contract, we can go to courts and basically say, this is an emergency. You need to stop this employee from doing it. And in certain cases where the competitor knows that's happening, we can also go after the competitor and say, you can't use our information. This is a violation of trade secrets laws. It's a violation of that employee's contract with us not to divulge that information. You knew that. You interfered with that contract. So you should be accountable, too, as the contractor. There are also some, um, depending on the type of vehicle it is, there might be some recourse um, in, you know, just generally working with the contracting office. But those are harder, those can be harder um, avenues to pursue. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would imagine that you're, like most of the time we're giving advice to clients, you're better off trying to deal with this proactively, like before the barn door's been left open. So um, what are some of the hallmarks? What is an insider threat program? Like what should be some of the hallmarks of a program to try to preemptively avoid what Nicole was just describing from happening? So I think the NISBOM defines it, and I think these are four words that apply whether you're a clear contractor or not. Gather, deter, detect, mitigate. So gather. First, you want to gather information. You want to be monitoring your employees. And, And frankly, this is these are good habits for any employer because some of the warning signs of an, an employee that poses an insider threat like anger or being revenge motivated or having compulsive or destructive behaviors, these are behaviors that can lead to an insider threat and other problems for your company. So you want to gather information, monitor your employees. You want to deter your employees from posing an insider threat. And I think a lot of that is through the policies that Nicole mentioned, that you want to have policies and procedures in place. And this should be not just an HR legal issue. It's got to go across the spectrum to all of your departments. Your IT department's got to be involved. Your ops people have to be involved. And then obviously HR legal. You want to detect. So what are what are the mechanisms that you're putting in place to make sure that you can ferret out when one of these issues pops up? And then you want to mitigate. So... You know, one of the ways that you can go about implementing an insider threat program, identify the assets that need to be protected. Should those only remain, for instance, on one server that can only be accessed by three people, that would be one way to kind of mitigate and deter any insider threat. Yeah, that's actually, and that's a great suggestion that dovetails with cybersecurity best practices that you want to make sure that your sensitive information is protected in your system, you know, need to see only basis and have a segregated system for your most sensitive information. And that's not only necessary to meet federal cybersecurity requirements that you might be subject to, but like Megan was just saying, that's a great defense to mitigate against if you have a a rogue employee, a disgruntled employee, or just an opportunistic employee. So if you put those things those processes in place, gathering and mitigating, et cetera. Nicole, what do you need to do in terms – how do you make this front of mind for your people? You know, it's one thing to put the document in place, but how do you get it to really be living and breathing within the company? So you're going to hear me use a word culture, which everybody kind of 
it's really hard and an esoteric word, right? Like, what does that mean? What does our culture mean? How do we institute a culture? They signed a document. They read our ethics policy. They signed a non-compete. You know, that should be the end of it. But four, five, six years in, that employee might have not even recalled that they signed a document. I mean, they're just worried about today. They might not even remember what it said or what the limitations are. So you really have to continually reinforce that. And you reinforce it from the top down, really, by continually telling your IT department, like, let's make sure we do a training. Let's make sure that everybody knows that they're supposed to destroy information. We hold employees accountable when they're not following our IT procedures. They're not following our cybersecurity procedures. We're letting employees know when something is a really important confidential document or really important confidential information. And if we continue to reinforce those ideas top-down, employers are going to know that that's really important. A good example is something that Megan mentioned earlier, and I think we could all benefit from reminding ourselves of. When you're going to a coffee shop because you have a telework policy, so your employees can work from home, they don't want to stay at home all day. They want to go to a coffee shop. It's cool, good music, but they're signing in to an unsecured network. That's never a good idea when they have access to confidential information on their computers, particularly if there's a cloud system that's not secured and you're accessing information that way. And if you don't reinforce that idea that every time you go out and log on and connect to an unsecured network, that that's prohibited and you don't enforce that policy, then employees are going to forget about it. So you've got to continually keep it front of mind. So they need to be aware of the policy. And they need to know that, that it's enforced so it's real. The company is yeah. behind it. It's part of your culture. And, you know, Megan, one of the other areas of your practice, you represent contractors when they're involved in suspension and debarment proceedings, which, of course, no federal contractor ever plans to find themselves uh, involved with. But Talk a little bit about the importance of policies and procedures and training from that perspective. If you haven't, in, I mean, we can't prevent all employees from doing anything, right? I mean, something might happen even with all the good training and policies that Nicole just talked about. But how do those training and policies help you when you find, when you're working with a contractor that's in that type of situation? When a company has been proposed for suspension or debarment, one of the best ways that they can present that they are presently responsible notwithstanding the bad incident or incidents is to show that they had good faith and a good intent to abide by what all the laws and regulations are. And when you have written policies and written procedures, that's a that's very strong evidence to the government that this is a company that was trying to do the wrong thing and for whatever reason something went off and now that, that they can still return and follow those policies and procedures and be presently responsible and not be subject to suspension or debarment. Right. It really goes a long way in those situations, does it, doesn't it, to show that you, you're a good actor? You know, so it's, it's preventative maintenance, but it also helps you on the back end. Nicole, any other thoughts on, on what employers can do to mitigate insider threat risk? You really need to think about the whole world of protections, right? Like what tools do you have in your toolbox? And the, even if you have access to all those tools, it doesn't mean that different employers use those tools equally. Some tools are going to be appropriate for some employers and not other employers. And a lot of this is, frankly, just not intentional. Um, we have 
a lot of clients that are subject to HIPAA and healthcare protections, and sometimes information just gets out there. You know, we've had clients where the their systems, their IT systems switched over, and for whatever reason, the the protections, the file access protections were changed, and unintended employees had access to salary information or social security numbers that they shouldn't have had access to. And those got out there in the universe that they weren't supposed and they weren't supposed to be out there, right? So it wasn't intentional, but that employer really has to look at before we before we go into a situation where we're switching our IT system or we are bidding on a new contract or hiring a bunch of new people, what tools in the toolkit do we really need to have in order to make this effective on the back end? Because as Megan said, I love when clients come to me and the tools are already there because then I can really help you. If the tools aren't there and we haven't thought about all of this stuff in advance and how it makes sense for the company as a whole, then it limits our ability to really protect the company on the back end if we're in one of those difficult situations. Yeah, and you know, you're hitting on a common theme that we've talked about in the prior episodes too, which is that clients and understandably but tend to look at compliance issues like this as a cost center. It's like that's just money that I have to spend. What's really my risk here? I only have a handful of employees. Like I, I don't have anybody that would go rogue. Do I really need to invest the time to build out my toolkit? Or I can just kind of go it, you know, go it alone, so to speak, and and hope that nothing goes wrong. And while nothing may go wrong, the what we're seeing more and more of is that you're going to lose an opportunity for to gain a competitive advantage if you're not ahead of the curve on these things because increasingly prime contractors and the government expect you to have those things in place and what we heard from Dave Schaefer uh, in the prior episode about the difficulties of trying to sell a company if you don't have these these types of basics in place have you seen? Have you worked with a client that uh, maybe never thought it would be them, and then, unfortunately, it was them, and they didn't have the toolkit in place? And what? And how does that go? So it's certain. Yes, that's the short answer. Yes, we work with clients all the time, and it's not. Sometimes it's that they haven't thought about it, and sometimes they have thought about it. Um, and they either received pushback from an employee. Let's take non-compete agreements, right? A lot of employers think that either a non-compete agreement is not enforceable, and that can vary state by state. The rules do vary state by state there. Or imp- they think an employee is not going to like it. And and in the negotiation process with the employee, they decide to water down the non-compete or eliminate it entirely. And then it turns out that that's the employee they have an issue with down the road. Right. And so you take that, we take the tools that we have when we have them. Right. So in that particular case, we're hoping that there's a state trade secrets law or, you know, we can use a a duty of loyalty that the employee presently has to the company in order to grab on to things that we need to grab on to to protect the company. But it would certainly be nicer if we'd had all those tools in the front end. And then we work with the client to, address that going forward. So maybe we missed the boat on this one. Maybe the employee can go and help a competitor with a, a new proposal, and there's not a whole lot we can do about it in that particular—there might be those cases out there. But then we're looking forward. 
what can we do next time so that that doesn't happen? Right. And so from that standpoint, you know, being proactive, Megan, what should an insider threat program include? Like what, what are some of the, the things you want to just make sure you have in there? I think the most important thing is to have, take a holistic approach to monitoring your employees. So to give you an example, I was talking to um, one of our clients, um, actually their director of HR a couple days ago, and she was telling me about an experience she had before she went to work for a government contractor. So while she was working for a commercial entity, she noticed that one employee in particular who she had already identified some red flags with, he was had, over a period of some months drawing down on his 401k and then putting the money back in. And in the clearance world, that's a huge red flag. That is something that that's an adverse information that needs to be reported. Now, she was not obviously working for a cleared contractor at the time. And if she was siloed off and had, if she was working for a cleared contractor, if she was siloed off just in her little HR department and had no interaction with the facility security officer, then the facility security officer and the insider threat program security officer would not realize that that is a true security risk because that employee is presenting financial sensitivities. He would be prone or maybe a, a good target for blackmail and then would be inclined to potentially share classified information in exchange for money. So you need to take a holistic approach with monitoring your employees and get everybody on board with, with the overall mission of the organization, which is, goes back to the culture piece that Nicole was talking about. Yeah, that, that's really good advice. I mean, I would imagine that not only does this potentially create problems for you internally if you've got an employee that you're depending on for their clearance and they've engaged in something that could jeopardize their clearance or, or the company's clearance, that affects you as an organization, but it also can affect you and your relationships with an upstream contractor, right? I mean, if they're, that's the role you're filling on the project and somebody on your team blows the clearance, I would that would be a problem under a subcontract potentially, right? Absolutely. I mean, that could lead to a breach of your subcontract or a breach of your prime contract. It could lead in an extreme case to a termination if you're the prime contractor. I can see a scenario where some type of major security breach um, presented by an ins insider taking sensitive information could lead to a termination for default if the contractor was intentionally, um, you know, willfully engaged in conduct of just being ignoring the situation and not properly monitoring it. So it can be extreme. Yeah. And I mean, depending on the nature of the project, that's the kind of thing that the, the prime might put you through through the paces on before they even agree to put you on the team. So like waiting until it hits the fan is going to be too late to put these types of uh, requirements in place. Are there other ongoing requirements that uh, you would advise when you're working with clients that, that are important to be mindful of? Sure. So the NISBOM does have some specific requirements for cleared contractors. Um, I think most cleared contractors are now aware that they need to appoint an insider threat program senior official. This person can also be your FSO, by the way. They can be dual-hatted. And then on an annual basis, a senior management official needs to certify to the Defense Security Service, DSS, that there has been a self-inspection, 
that the company is in compliance with its own written insider threat program. And then DSS reserves the right to come in and audit that and take a look, just like they do with all of your other security compliance reviews, to make sure that you are in compliance with your own insider threat program. And let's be honest, like data breach is just sexy, right? So particularly when it involves a government entity and their information. So sometimes it's about, you know, protecting your secret sauce and making sure you're protecting what you've worked hard to get, which is that subcontract or that prime contract. But there's also a media component here, and sometimes that can be scarier. States have a lot of their own individual laws with respect to when you have to disclose to other employees or other agencies when you have information that's floating around that you didn't intend to have floating around. And some of those requirements include reporting to the media and a press release. So you have to protect your image and your future work as a contractor as well. I mean, I think that's something that you guys get involved with in your group a lot. It's almost like crisis management, isn't it? In a way, when something happens, I mean, I know you've had some, the sort of the classic, you know, left the laptop in the coffee shop type example. So give us, give a little flavor for like how the, what is the machinery that then needs to start turning when something like that happens? So the first thing you're doing is trying to figure out what damage has already been done and how widely this is known, right? So the first thing we're doing is how quickly do we need to report? What kind of reporting steps do we need to to pursue? And then the next step is if the media already knows about it, who's saying what to the media? What are we telling our employees about what they should or should not say on behalf of the company? And getting all of those steps in place so that you don't have employees when you know talking to media outlets or even sometimes even investigators when they're just knocking on the door. We don't want employees making assumptions about you know what the company is doing or what's happened if they really don't know. Generally speaking, avoid employees talking <laughs> to the media, right? The- Generally, you know, sometimes we can't stop them, but we can say you are not supposed to be talking on behalf of the company. Right, right. This is not something we want all employees out get there your, doing. Get your message straight, right. Exactly. And then we're looking long term, you know, how do we mitigate damage? You know, what type of statement do we want to give to the media or not give to the media? And sometimes that means that we're engaging a PR firm to help us with that, that there are some other third parties that can help us mitigate those types of it's things. It's a multifaceted response, right? And exactly. it needs to, you're doing it quickly. I mean, these things are unfolding rapidly and usually at the worst timing. You know, they're, yeah. they're, not, they don't, they're not planned <laughs> out to happen exactly when you were ready for it, right? Exactly. It's always the worst time. It's always when you're busy or, you know, you don't, Eight people just quit. You don't have enough people. You know, it's it's always really, really challenging. But I think you know you you can't solve you, you can't go back and fix what happened. It happened, right? So really, you're going to make or break the situation by how, what you do to address it once it happens, right? And so those next few steps that you take are really important, and you want to have your advisors in the loop from the first the first moment, right? Exactly, and that can be the same process with outside information, information that gets leaked to the media or a story that might get picked up to, from by the media. That's the same as if information got leaked about your employees, right? So let's just say social security numbers ended up in an unsecured file and you're not really sure who accessed them. 
and you're required by that state or because you feel like you should to disclose to those employees that you know, we're pretty sure that your social security numbers are safe, that nobody's misusing them, but we really need to let you know. And how you communicate that to folks is really critical because it's your reputation with your people. And in, if you're in a service industry, that's really important that you keep that confidence and that your employees know that you're not intentionally misusing their information and that you've got their back and you're going to do what you can to help protect their information. I mean, that's a competitive advantage, I would think, from a hiring perspective. We've been focusing on competitive advantage in terms of winning work with the federal government and subcontract, but this is a people issue too, right? Oh, exactly. Your people are an asset. They're, it's, turnover is expensive. Hiring is expensive. Getting the right butts and seats can be challenging, particularly in this economy where you know, people aren't as fungible as they used to be, right? There's, there's, we're very low unemployment right now. And hiring can be difficult. If you have people that the client loves, and if that person goes to another contractor, that could mean the end of that FTE or the end of that contract for you. So it is really critical that, you know, we're watching out and taking care of people. Yeah, I mean, the people follow the work. Uh, I mean, that's usually how it goes. Or the work follows the people, maybe. <laughs> Megan, what about a key takeaway or two on insider threat? Is there something that if, if anybody, you know, the listener would take away only one thing, one or two things on insider threat, what would you want them to leave with? I think I keep referring to cleared contractors, but this applies to all employees it, it, or all employers. If you have any type of asset, I mean, a customer list, that's a valuable asset that you don't want walking out the door. Where do you keep that customer list? Who has access to it? Do you know where where it is and why the person is accessing it when they are? So it's all types of employers that have any type of information, and it doesn't just have to be for cleared contractors. And Nicole, what about, I think that's a great segue beyond cleared contractors, just some tips for employers in general in this area. No one ever has the time, really, right? And that's usually what we hear from clients when they come and talk to us about something. I've been meaning to get around to this for six months. I've been meaning to get around to this for a year or more, or I just never got around to it because I've been putting out fires. The most important thing you can do annually is schedule a time to go over your compliance goals for the year. And they don't have to be the same every year. But if Put it, but if you're putting it on your calendar and you're making a commitment as an organization that we are going to look at how we're protecting against insider threat in the next six months and we're going to assign this as a job duty and a priority on the part of the company, goes back to that cultural discussion that that comes from the top down, then you're going to be in a much better position to protect your company down the road. It has to be as important to you as getting that proposal out the door on time. Right. And you think about it, not just compliance as a cost center, but as a means to gain a competitive advantage. That if you if you have that at least annual compliance checkup, you're ahead of the curve on issues that could affect your ability to get on a team. Exactly. Or to win a contract or defend a contract that gets protested. You know, it's too late most of the time when the protest has been filed or the teaming agreement falls through to go back and correct these issues. But if that's a really great takeaway. If you're, if you're at least scheduling yourself some time on an annual basis, like Nicole said, what is your compliance 
to-do list for the year. That's a great way to set yourself up uh, to keep this a high priority and help you gain a competitive advantage. Well, I want to thank you both very much for your time. This was great. We look forward to June 5th, where we're going to hear more about insider threat programs, employee training, and other risk mitigation strategies. Thank you both very much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about how cyber, data, and personnel security can impact your business, we encourage you to check out our upcoming event on gaining a competitive edge through cyber, data, and personnel security. We're going to bring together perspectives from leading government contracting practitioners to talk about how cyber, supply chain risk management, data rights, and personnel security are shaping the competitive landscape for federal prime contracts and subcontracts. Insights and strategies will be shared around how cyber is affecting award decisions and teaming arrangements, what you need to do to protect your data rights, the increasing impact of cybersecurity in mergers and acquisitions, and the importance of developing a robust insider threat program. The event will be on June 5th in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. To register or learn more about the event, please view the show notes or visit us on the web at poleramaza.com. Thank you for listening to GovCon Live. This podcast was produced by Chris Godwin at Maximum Flavor Media, Max Hertenstein at 3 Volt Sound, and Frederick Nesfield. Music credits go to bensound.com, and I've been your host, John Williams. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts, and check out our event on gaining a competitive edge through cyber, data, and personnel security in the show notes, or at polaramaza.com. <laughs>